You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Dear Lord, we thank you for that name. There is no other name under heaven. by which men can be saved. And we thank you that one day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what we're doing right here, right now. That the dignitaries of the world, past, present, and those yet to be born, yet to come, will one day bow before you. The armies of the world will bow before you. And the world and all of creation will proclaim in one mighty moment, He is Lord. And we pray, dear Lord, that He is Lord of our lives, of our hearts, that He's the Master, that He's the one in control of this new year with all of the potential. We don't know what the year holds. It could hold great blessing, great promise. It could be a year of great destiny and many good things, but Lord, also a year can hold trials and difficulties, losses and things that we may need to go through in order to be conformed into your image. Regardless of what this year holds, we know that Jesus, you hold the year. We thank you that I am Jehovah, Yahweh, that you are God and everything is in the present tense. There is no past. There is no future. It is all before your eyes. So we pray, dear Lord, that we entrust this year into your care. And we ask you, dear Lord, to let us be vessels that could be fit for your use because we know that you will not relent until you have all of us. As painful as that may sometimes be. And we pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. There was a group here last week from a sister church that asked us at the end of the service, when y'all do this again, let us know. Someone laughed and said, we do this every Sunday. Um. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 25, and I'm going to pick up today at verse 19. I'm just going to, verses 1 through 18, kind of summarize, bring that together. You can go back and read that, and then we're, but we'll pick up at verse 19. Now, you may have noticed, you may not have noticed, that a landmark is missing from our parking lot. Uh, years ago, we received a bus from a sister church. Uh, Brandon Slay eventually painted that bus all different kinds of colors. And, and, and for a long time, we used that bus. We would go to Jane Avenue. We'd go to different places in the city. We'd carry a group of people. We'd do a recreation. We'd do a craft face painting. We'd play kickball or soccer. We'd do these things, and we'd load back up on that bus, and we'd come back. One day we were on our way coming down around Robinson Road. Mark Beam was driving the bus. We were all on there. We'd had a great time down at 
Jane Avenue when all of a sudden Mark kind of hollered. He's a big old military guy, pilot in the military, used to be here, former pastor and, uh, of another church. But anyway, Mark hollered and said, no brakes. And here we were coming down, we were coming down Ellis crossing Robinson Road and uh, at, 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 at a, you know, high traffic time. And we all sound like a bunch of girls on that bus screaming. Well, we eventually got back to the church and we did everything we could to try to get that bus running. Never could get it running. And uh, so it began to sit out there. Now, it has sat there for years. And it has become somewhat of a landmark. In fact, when you tell people where you go to church, a lot of times people will light up, they'll smile and say, oh, that's where that multicolored bus is. And so for a long time, we just said, hey, let's leave that thing there. Maybe we need to wash it every once in a while, but let's leave it there because people know where we are based on that bus. But last week... We had an incident where a young man came onto the premises and was trying to break into, uh, well, he's trying, I think, into Jana's car. He had a gun. Later, it was disclosed that it was nothing but a BB gun. But he had a gun, and he was trying to get into her car, and her car was parked behind that bus. Now, let me say this as a staff member and as a pastor. I've pulled up many a day through the week and have seen cars parked behind that bus. I've seen people in a high-speed chase behind that bus. I've seen people that the loan company was looking for their vehicle behind that bus. In fact, we've seen a lot. uh, Heather used to be our secretary here, and she can tell you that a lot of times we had to call because there was a car behind that bus. Now, what I'm going to say to you today, and if I could title this message anything, as we're looking at 2015, it would be that some of us need to get the bus out of our life. Because what happens is, is the bus began to be a place where the enemy was able to do business. Does that make sense? Say amen. So sometimes, and in fact, I could tell that Stan Lewis, Stan called me and I could just hear, I could just hear deprivation in his voice. He was just reluctant to say it. We were getting the God's Haven group to get their bus off the premises. And, and I could tell Stan, and finally Stan said, you know, brother Jeff, we really, and I knew what he was getting ready to say, we need to get rid of that other bus as well. But I want to ask you something as you begin a new year. What do you need to get out of your life as you're starting 2015? Are there some things spiritually that you need to, and physically, that you either need to fix or you need to remove them? They have served their purpose, but now they have become a cover for your enemy. So now here we are, and we're in Genesis, Genesis chapter 25. Now, I've, there's only two points to this message. Number one, the first point is that we're saying farewell to the father of the faith. Who's the father of our faith? Whoa, that sounds pitiful. Who? Abraham. Abraham is, in Genesis chapter 25, Abraham is getting ready to die. Now, real quickly, and I'm just going to overview in the verses 1 through 18, when you go back and read, you're going to find that after Sarah dies, Abraham remarries. Isn't that something? And he not only remarries, 
He has more children. He's over a hundred years old. And this man without Viagra is still carrying on and moving right on with his life. Now I wrote down these three things in verses one through four. And you can go back and read them. He remarries. Now there's something fascinating here because I want you to listen to this. Isaac at this time is 75. Jacob and Esau are 15. And there's another man by the name of Eber. Eber is 460 years old. Now listen to me, look this way. Eber is 460 years old and he's the son of Shem. Who is the son of who? Noah. You remember Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now when Abraham is born... Abraham is born just two years after the death of Noah. You may say, well, how do we have the Bible so clearly put together through oral tradition? Does that make sense? Melchizedek was alive when Noah was building the ark. Abraham is born after the death of Noah, but he barely messes. And he sits there and he's able to hear the stories of Eber, the son of Shem, who's the son of Noah. Man, I don't know about you, but that fascinates me. So here we have the remarriage. The family, the patriarch, the father of the faith, his family's growing. Verses 5 through 6, we have riches. He's a wealthy man. He begins to get his affairs in order. His inheritance, he begins to divide. And he sets everything in order for his son Isaac, who is the rightful heir in the messianic line. Verses 7 through 11, his remains... When he dies, he is buried with his wife, Sarah. In verses 12 through 18, we have Ishmael. Now, who's Ishmael? Ishmael is the son of who? Abraham and Hagar. And Hagar was an Egyptian maidservant that Sarah said, Listen, God just doesn't seem to be working out His plan, His promise, so we're going to help God out. We talked about that. So what... Sarah did is Sarah, instead of being patient and waiting on God, she jump starts God. She wants to help God out. And she says to Abraham, here, look, here's my Egyptian maidservant, which she got down in Egypt when her and Abraham were out of the will of God. She says, hey, why don't you sleep with my Egyptian maidservant? Perhaps we can fulfill the promise of God this way. And we talked about the danger when you and I are trying to answer our own prayers. Instead of waiting on God. And Ishmael is born. And when you read 12 through 18, what you'll find is that Ishmael has 12 sons. He too has 12 tribes. And those 12 tribes become the nucleus of the Arab nation. And prophecy is fulfilled. Because what we learn here is that you remember what God told Hagar? You remember what the angel of the Lord told Hagar about Ishmael before he was ever born? Listen, he'll be a wild ass of a man. That's literally the Hebrew. And he was. And he still is. So in verses 1 through 18, Genesis chapter 25, we see all of this unfold. There is the, here is the farewell to the father of the faith. But now secondly, 
And there's only two points, so we're already at the last point. It's verses 19 through 34. Now let me read here. This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Haran, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. So here you have, the Bible is walking us through Abraham, Seth, Noah, I mean, uh, Adam, Seth, Noah, Abraham. The Bible is walking us through the Messianic line, the line of the Messiah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. So now we're introduced to an aspect of the father of the faith. In other words, what the writer here tells us, and Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what Moses says is that Isaac and Rebekah are, are about to have a child. Now, I want you to look here because in verse 22, I mean in verse 21, it said that Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. Verse 22, it said what? Well, the latter part of verse 21. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebekah became what? Became pregnant. Now look at verse 22. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. So here we see the the prayer, we see the pain, and then we see the problem. Look at picking up at verse, verse 23. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, watch what it goes on. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first came out, he was red. His whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. Now, ladies, let me stop here and ask you something. If a limb comes out first... Do you have a problem? <laughs> you better believe it. I, listen, I worked with an ambulance service for years. I've delivered. And I can tell you this much. If a limb comes out first, we're in trouble on that ambulance. It totally changes now how we're to respond to the pregnancy. She gives birth to Esau. Esau, Esau looks like some creature from the lagoon. And then, lo and behold, here's Jacob coming out and he's clasping and hanging on to the heel of his brother Esau. Now, this is critical in the Jewish culture because who's born first is the rightful heir. So here you have a twist already. Now, let's read on. Verse 26, after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but, he, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country. He was famished. He said to Jacob, Quick! Let me have some of that red stew. 
I'm famished. That is why he's called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Well, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to his brother, Jacob selling his birthright to him. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, then he got up and left. And so Esau did what? He despised his birthright. So listen, here we have a prayer. Isaac says, God, we're getting older. The Messianic line has got to continue. So Isaac calls out, cries out to God. He says, God, I want me and Rebecca to have a baby. Rebecca becomes pregnant. But the pregnancy is turbulent. Man, there is war going on inside of her womb. And so finally she, sa- she looks and she says, Isaac, I don't understand. Something is wrong. Something is wrong in my womb. I remember one time years ago, I was at the ambulance service. It was a Friday night. I was propped up there. We were watching TV when all of a sudden a car came swerving in there. A man was just banging on the horn, just beeping 90 to nothing. We walked out. About the time we opened the door, this man was screaming, Something's wrong with my wife. Come quick. And I'll never forget climbing up in the back of that ambulance and beginning to try to figure out what was wrong with this pregnancy and what we needed to do. In essence, Rebecca said to Isaac, Isaac, something is wrong. And she goes to God and she begins to pray. She says, God, I don't understand what's going on. And God says, there are two nations in your womb. And they are at war. And look this way, and they are still at war. When I read this, I thought about, you know, this is where we need to camp out at the beginning of 2015. Because in essence, what God says to Rebecca, I believe it's timely words for you and I. Because just like Rebecca had a war in her womb, I want you to look this way, you and I, are in the midst of a war where? In our hearts. I want you to take a right, take your Bibles and go to Galatians 5, 16 and 17. I think I'm right here. Galatians chapter 5. I want you to see this. In Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. Now watch what Paul said to the church there, these early believers at Galatia. He said, so I say... Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit. And you will not do what? You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now I'm reading out of the NIV. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. So what Paul is saying here is what I'd like to say to you as you begin a new year. You see, you and I are in the midst of a spiritual war. And just like Rebecca had a war between two nations, you and I have a war that's taking place in our hearts every single day we get up. Now look this way. If you don't have a war in your heart, you got a problem.
you're either, you're either unsaved and you don't have the Holy Spirit at all or either you're so badly backslidden that, my friend, you're of no concern to our enemy anymore. You see, a war in the heart, in some ways, is a good thing. You see, it's a picture of the Spirit. What Paul was saying in Galatians chapter 5, Paul said, you've got the, you've got the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, as the Zimbabwe would, would say, Mwayamutsvene. You've got the Mwayamutsvene. You've got the Holy Spirit, but it's in a fleshly body. And it is constantly warring. Now let me ask you something. What is it warring for? Let me give you an example. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with what? With the Holy Spirit. What does the word filled mean? Control. There's our Greek scholar there. It means control. You see, what the meaning here is, and I think for you and I as we come to a new year, is that we have to recognize that we are in a spiritual war and the flesh and the spirit are battling together. Now let me ask you something. What that, well, let me say this. What that means is that in every one of us, we've got a little bit of Jacob and Esau in all of us. What Rebecca felt in the womb, you and I are going to feel every day of our life as we try to live out the Christian life. Now here's the danger. The danger is, if we were to look at it this way, we've got Jacob, who is the messianic line and a representative of the God of God and a representative of the messianic line. Then we have Esau, and he's representative of the flesh. The danger is in your life and in my life and in the heart is when Esau begins to win over who? Jacob. You see. It's not just a matter of the flesh here, and I want you to listen closely, but it's the danger in all of our lives. Now listen to me closely, where you and I, and you may look back over 2015 or 2014, and you may say this, the danger is as the flesh begins to win out in this war in our hearts, is that we become spiritually passive, lethargic, and indifferent. Does that make sense? Take a, take a right from Galatians and go to 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9, watch this. I want you to see this. It's right before 2 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. I want you to see this now. Now, look at verse 8. It says, be what? Be what? I can't hear you. Okay, what does the NIV say? Who's got an NIV? Be what? Be I didn't hear it. Say it real loud. Self-controlled. You see, I think that a lot of times what you and I do is we come to a new beginning of a new year and we say, you know, I just didn't do spiritually very good last year and it must be, it must be God's fault, the Holy Spirit's fault. You see, so I just don't seem to be having victory over some areas of my life. Well, listen, the Bible puts responsibility on you and I. Peter says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion 
looking for someone to devour. Now watch this. Verse 9, do what? What do you do? You run? It says resist him standing what? Firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. You see, we're a soldier. And as we come into a new year and we look at 2015, we have to recognize that spiritually we are in the midst of a war. And the Esau in us, the flesh in us, is going to be fed by a lost world, a fallen world. And my friend, it could very, very easily begin to push down the influence and the permeating of the Holy Spirit so that the flesh begins to control your life and control my life. Once the flesh begins to control our lives, spiritually we become aloof, we become indifferent, we become apathetic. And listen, the songs don't ring in our hearts like they used to. The prayers don't make it, they, they, don't, they seem to stop at the ceiling. We read God's Word and it sounds like just any other novel we picked up. And we begin to sense something. Listen, some of us need to come like Rebecca to Isaac and before God and say, God, something is wrong in me. My friend, nobody, not me, not anyone, can fix you spiritually. Only Christ. And you today are in a, listen, we are in a battle. Let me ask you something. Look at, go back to Genesis 25. I want to ask you a question. How does Esau make his decisions? What determines his decisions? Look at verse 30. Here's a clue. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm what? I'm famished. Verse 30. Look at verse 32. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is this birthright to me? Isn't that so much in contrast to Job? You remember Job? in the midst of his suffering, under the oppression of the enemy, struggling even within his flesh, when he cries out and he says, Though God slay me, yet will I praise him. You see, Esau is driven by what? What is he driven by? He's driven by the flesh. When Jesus was tempted in the 40 days of temptation, after the 40 days of fasting and the 40 days of temptation, What is the first thing the enemy does to tempt him? What? He tempts him by saying this, If you be the Son of God, take these stones and turn them into what? Turn them into bread. Jesus responds with what words? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now look this way. What Jesus was saying is is this. And he gives us an example. He's saying to the enemy, man is not controlled and driven by his appetites, by his flesh. You see, that's the danger in all of us. That's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants in 2015 for you and I to be not controlled by the Holy Spirit, but instead controlled by our fleshly desires. And so what Jesus was saying, and it was a model here, he says, man shall not live by his appetites. Man will live by what? He lives by the word of God. In Psalm 1, it's a beautiful psalm. Listen to this. 
Blessed is the man, and this is the picture. I remember this in the Hebrew scholar, Dr. Wayland Bailey, a great Hebrew scholar. He said this, and this is the way the Jews saw it. He said, blessed. Now the word blessed is happy. Blessed is the man who walketh not, Psalm 1, who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. He said this, he said to a Jew, in Psalm 1 he was saying this, he says it's the picture of a godly man, a godly woman, and they're walking, they're going about their day, when all of a sudden they hear something, a juicy bit of gossip. They catch something on TV. It's something that somehow, somehow stimulates the flesh. So they walk by and they overhear. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. But then it says this, nor standeth in the way of the sinner. Because see, what he was saying is this, what a Jew understood was this. You pass by and you hear something and your tendency then is to go back by and this time what do you do? You stop. And guess what the danger is? You know what the danger is? This is the third time. Blessed is a man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor does what? Sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You know what he says? If you and I don't keep walking, if we stop, if we listen, then before long we'll be sitting and we'll be right in the middle of it. Now, I want you to hear me. I want you to stand on your feet. Stand up. This is so critical. Paul said in Corinthians, we're not to be unequally yoked. But I want to ask you a question today. When I left our community meal Christmas Day and I went home, I, I walked in and my dad was sitting in my place on the couch. I said, Dad, you're sitting in my place. It's my spot. So we have a, we have a, we have a leather couch. So I went down and sat down on the other end. Now, I want you to look at my... And if you're listening on the website, you're not going to be able to tell this. But I sat down and I immediately went, Wow. I mean, the cushion felt like I was sitting up about a foot taller than I normally do. And God immediately spoke into my heart. And he said, son, that's the problem with you. You are sitting in the same spot continually, unequally yoked to what's hanging on the wall, your TV. Man, you're talking about convicting me. That dimple in the couch has bothered me since. It's almost like it's the pit of hell and I hate him sitting down there. Now you can be seated. You thought you were getting ready to go home. You will be in a moment. <laughs> you see, you and I are in the middle. Listen, we're in the middle of a spiritual war. Paul said, listen, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're in a spiritual battle. And he won't relent until he has it all. The Holy Spirit is driving out the flesh, driving out the appetite. It is at war. He wants all of you and he'll never give up. And you've got an enemy 
He wants all of you as well. And man, you look this way. Sometimes it feels like all hell is breaking loose inside of you and you think to yourself, God, how much longer can I endure this? And God says, it won't be long. You'll be home with me and that battle will be over with. I, a couple of Saturdays ago, was listening to the old Billy Graham, an old Billy Graham crusade. A man by the name of Steve Green back in the 80s was singing a song, He Holds the Keys. My friend, if you're battling with an addiction, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, or you're losing ground spiritually, I challenge you to type in Steve Green's He Holds the Keys because that, that will come up and listen to the words. I sat there in my bed by myself listening to that, that message in song and I wept like a baby. I wept like a baby. The next day, I was telling Sheila about it. It was Monday. She came in. I got home from work. She, we were in there in the kitchen fixing something. I pulled up my laptop and said, you've just got to see this. And I punched in Steve Green. He holds the keys. And there was a woman with hardly anything on bending over saying, every man needs this. And I looked at Sheila right there in the kitchen and I said, that's the problem. You can't even walk spiritually. You can't even get information anymore. Last Sunday, I left the church. I went by the Shell station, and the gas on the sign was not what was on the pump, and it irritated me. I ended up leaving. I punched into my phone and said, trying to find the location, the phone number of that station so that I could call them. I punched in the number. I mean, I punched in... Shell Station Locator. That's what came up. I clicked that and it was a bare-breasted woman standing there. You see, you and I are in a war. This past week on my computer, I thought, well, it's the beginning of a new year. I'm going to clean up some of the email stuff. Man, I don't know about you, but I get so much junk. So I, I clicked on Pinterest unsubscribe. I went on their site, clicked so that I could unsubscribe because I didn't want their stuff anymore. And there was a bare-breasted woman on the unsubscribe page. You see, this is our enemy. And our enemy today has stacked the deck against the child of God who's trying to walk by way of the Holy Spirit. Ladies, please listen. Your husband today is dealing with hell every hour, every minute of every hour of every day because it is pounding away at his flesh in an area that it is easy. Let me tell you this. You can go back, check me on it. You don't have to believe me. Check me. You better check me. Anytime Paul talks about fruits of the flesh, he always starts with sexual immorality. Pornia, pornia. We get our word pornography. It is everywhere. Ladies, I can't tell you where you may be being attacked in the flesh, but I can tell you where your husband and those men you love and care about. And ladies, listen to me, Mom. You better listen. If you've got a boy, my friend, he has got a battle ahead of him. 
This is the world that we're living in. It's Satan's primary attack in a man's life. I can tell you another one is food. Food is going to disqualify some of you of being used greatly by God. Advertising today, the media is either food, sex, or debt. Right? Everything about it is based on what? On appetite. Now, if you're not aware of it, there's a danger here. And I've I've got to close in a moment. But I want you to look, and I I, I may not eat. Well, let me do it. Uh, Well, I'm trying to finish up here. Look at verse 34. Then Jacob, in Genesis 25, 34, then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew because, see, Esau's driven by what? He's driven by appetite. He makes his decisions based on appetite. Now look this way real quickly. He will forfeit his spiritual standing for his appetite. Now let me repeat that. Look this way. Everybody look this way. I'm going to get down because I, sometimes when you're a parent, you, you talk this way. But maybe I'm coming down to your level too. When you and I give in to an appetite, we forfeit spiritual progress that has been made in our life. Right? That's what the enemy wants. But I want you to look at verse 34 now. When Esau starts winning in your heart, when the flesh and the appetite begins to drive you, this is what happens. Do you see it? Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate, he drank, then he got up and he left. Now look at the last words there. So Esau did what about his birthright? What does it say? He despised. So Esau despised his birthright. The Hebrew word there is bazaar. I may not be saying it exactly right because it's been a long time since I took any Hebrew. But it's a verb and it carries the idea of of an action. Now listen to what it means. It means to disdain. It means to have contempt. It means to see it as vile and worthless and listen even to the point of literally scorning it. Let me tell you what the enemy will do in your life and in my life. Men, listen to me. As, the, as you begin to forfeit in the area of flesh, of the flesh, you will begin to lose spiritual ground that you've been able to make. You'll begin to, and when you lose spiritual ground, old folks used to call it what? What did they call it? Backsliding. You, as you begin to backslide, now stay with me here. You will bazaar, you will disdain, you will have contempt. I'm preaching too long for some of you because spiritually you're not where you need to be. Your attitude is shut up and let me go home. Spiritual things around you just annoy you now. You used to, you used to hang on out. Leroy, our, our new custodian. Leroy was living up under the gym.
Leroy looked at me one day and he said, Brother Jeff, I had made the decision. We were talking about this in Sunday school. I had made the decision to hang myself. He wouldn't be the first Don, one of our homeless men. He hung himself on the back of the house over here. He said, I was ready to hang myself. He said, I was desperate. He said, I came up that hill. He said, I literally was at the end of my rope. And he said, but I did this. He said, I cried out to God. God, help me. He said, I was walking up here after that prayer. And he said, Cameron, T said, Cameron. I said, T said to Leroy, I said, Leroy, Cameron's looking for you. Leroy didn't know it, but we wanted him to be our custodian beginning the new year. WH is on disability. WH is taken care of. He's getting older and we felt like this was the time. Leroy, we looked at Leroy and said, Leroy, we've got a home for you to live in. Leroy, we've got a regular salary for you. Leroy, we believe God's going to provide you a means of transportation. Leroy sat there with tears in his eyes. He said, God was saying, I heard your cry. Leroy told me in Sunday school, he said, Brother Jeff, he said, WH and I were cleaning out a room over here. There were two candles. He said, I took those two candles and thought, well, I'm going to take them over to the house. WH looked at him and said, what do you need two candles for? He said, well, you never know, the power may go off. Leroy said, the power went out. He said, I had those two candles right there. He said, it was like God was saying, I'm here, son. I'm providing for you. You stay close to me now. I heard you cry. Leroy said that later on he, he had a candle. He began to try to find the power, the, uh, the breaker box. He was looking around. He couldn't find the breaker box. But finally, I think he finally did. He said everything looked right there. So he went outside. He said he went outside. He came down to, out of the garage. He walked along. And all of a sudden he said just as clear as a bell, God said, stop. He said, I stopped. And he said, I looked down on that wet ground was live wires, live power line, right there on the next step. A limb had fallen and brought the line down, and there it was right in front of me. He said, God, stop me. Leroy said with tears in his eyes, he said, God heard my cry. God took care of my need. And God says, I love you, and I'm watching out for you. That same God loves you, and he cares for you. He had, listen, he hasn't left. He hasn't left you. You know what the Jews would always say? And they'd always say, His love endures forever. His mercy endures forever. I want you to stand. I'm going to stop here. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, dear Lord Jesus, that you love us. And we thank you that as Paul said in Ephesians, that when we repented of our sin, when we began to understand the cost of our sin and what it cost our Savior, 
and we repented of our sin and we cried out as Leroy said he cried out and we said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin and be my Lord, be my Savior. In that moment, Paul says, the deposit, the earnest money, the down payment of God claiming what is rightfully His was placed in our hearts. His Holy Spirit. But oh, Paul said it in, to the church at Corinthians, to the Corinthians. Paul said, I have a treasure, but it's in an earthen vessel. Paul said to the Galatians, the spirit is contrary to the flesh and the flesh contrary to the spirit. They're at war. And it may be as we reflect back over 2014, we look at our life and we realize that that war, not in the womb of Rebecca, but that war within our own hearts, has been being won by our enemy, by the flesh. We have been driven by our flesh, by our appetite, whether it be sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be, food, whatever it may be, it is holding us in bondage. And you're wanting to set us free. And we pray, dear Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would we begin to live under the disciplines of our faith. Look this way, we're still praying. When Emily had her baby a few weeks ago, I was a bachelor for a few days. Now, I wasn't griping and complaining. It really was kind of nice. One night I went in there, Sheila, don't give me a mean look, but one night I went in there, climbed up in the bed, and I was thinking, God, I want to be closer to you, and I feel like I'm not where I need to be. Oh, God had already shown me some things with my own sofa, with my couch, or would be showing me some things with the couch. But I was crying out to God. And I began to open a Bible. I had a big, thick NIV study Bible, like this thick. And I picked this thing. It's like, a, it's like an encyclopedia. It's almost annoyingly big. And I'm sitting up there in the bed, and I begin to open it, and I, and I start reading in the Gospel of Mark. And I come to Mark chapter 9, verse 49. I think that's the verse. And Jesus said, you shall be salted with fire. I thought, that's strange. So then I begin to cross-reference. I tried to look for it in Matthew. Matthew didn't have it. I tried to look for it in Luke. Luke didn't have it. I tried to look for it in John the Beloved. John didn't have it. Only Mark had it. And Mark was influenced by Peter. So I thought, that's strange that John the Beloved didn't hear it. Peter heard it and told Mark to record it. So then I began to chase. I went back to Levitical law where they would salt the sacrifice. And I began to look at Leviticus. I began to go all through my Bible. I look like a madman searching in the Bible. What did Jesus mean here? This has something to do with me. You'll be salted with fire. And I could not find an answer. I looked at New Testament scholars. I looked at theologians. I looked at masters of the Greek language. I looked at biblical historians. Everybody is stumped by that phrase. And you shall be salted with fire. Now you may say, well, I figured it out. 
Maybe he meant the Holy Spirit. But there are others that said, no, maybe he meant suffering. He had just finished his teaching on hell when he says to the church, you shall be salted with fire. I didn't get an answer in that moment, but what God reminded me of was this. He reminded me of something. He said, son, you fall in love with this. You begin to wear out a place on your couch reading this, studying this. You begin to dig in it, looking for the mysteries of the universe. Son, I've hidden all kinds of precious gems and treasures in there that you're going to learn in 2015 if you'll just come back to me. Beat down the Esau with the Jacob. The power of my Holy Spirit. Pour yourself into my word. Son, draw close to me and you ain't seen nothing yet. Let's finish. Let's finish our prayer and you take the hand of somebody next to you because hell is on high alert in January. Hell wants to kill resolutions. That's why they all die by the end of the month. So you take the hand of somebody and you pray for them right now that this year will be a year of victory. Lord, we come to you and may you hear the cries of our hearts as we lift up brothers and sisters in Christ and as we pray that this year whatever those spiritual resolutions physical, mental, whatever they may be, that this year, empowered by your Holy Spirit, that you will give us a year of victory spiritually. May we not forfeit the spiritual ground we've acquired by way of your Holy Spirit, only to give it up to the appetite of the flesh and to be defeated. May the Jacob in our heart, the messianic line, Jesus, the power of his Holy Spirit, may he take back territory that the flesh has been acquiring. And may this year, 2015, two plus one plus five is the number eight. That number stands for a new beginning. May this be a year spiritually of new beginnings. May husbands and wives pray together. May dads pray with their children. May men and women carry the Bible to work. May they keep it in their back pocket like they once did. May they become men and women who walk so closely to you that when this year comes to a close, they'll smile and say, thank you, Jesus. It's been a year of spiritual victories. And Lord, whatever decision needs to be made now, may it be made in the name of Jesus.